The Falcons break from the huddle. Jones wide right. Where is Julio? Sanu in the slot. Lone receiver to the left. Ryan with Coleman to his left. Ryan rolls. Ryan pumps. Ryan is throwing it up in the air. Incomplete! Incomplete! And Taylor for Jones! Incomplete! And the Eagles take over on down with 58 seconds left. What an unbelievable job by this defense. Oh yeah, I'm going to have to talk a little bit about the game coming up on Sunday, the NFC Championship game between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Minnesota Vikings. Also, what has been happening in D.C.? The Democrats are threatening a shutdown. A FISA bill just got passed forward. What's going on with our rights? All this and a little more is coming up, so get ready. South Philadelphia String Band playing us in. can see where my mind is where I'm hyped I am hyped for this weekend this weekend Sunday both the AFC championship game and the NFC championship game will be underway the the Jacksonville Jaguars will be visiting the New England Patriots up in Foxborough Massachusetts and the Minnesota Vikings are coming over to Philly to play in the NFC championship game against the Philadelphia Eagles and and this has been one of those this has been one of those up and down years. This has been one of those telling years that happens. If if you don't know us Philadelphia Eagles fans, I mean, I am 28 years old. All right? I have watched the Eagles go to the Super Bowl. All right? It was 2004. It was against the New England Patriots. That's right. There is a there is a possibility that the Eagles could be in the Super Bowl this year facing the New England Patriots. It, it is at this point, as viable as the Jacksonville Jaguars versus the Minnesota Vikings. who Playoff football defies what everybody thinks is going to happen. It really does. It defies what people think is going to happen. This is a different level of football. The pace really does pick up. The pressure really does pick up. Little mistakes can't happen. And we had, like... Watching the Vikings and the Eagles play last week in their divisional games, you see some unprecedented things happen. For instance, the Vikings don't make it to this NFC Championship game if New Orleans Saints defender Marcus Williams makes a tackle on Stephon Diggs. If you didn't see that play, that was literally... It is universally agreed, even by us, even by people, us Eagles fans, universally agreed that was the craziest ending to a playoff game ever. You have to, everything has to go just right if you're the Vikings on that last play, that last ditch throw to Stefan Diggs. Everything has to go right for Stefan Diggs to score. The Vikings had no timeouts. 
he didn't have the opportunity. He wouldn't have had the opportunity to go out of bounds because time would have expired. So basically, the Vikings were in do or die, score or go home. And they have a lot to owe. Stefan Diggs for catching the ball, staying on his feet, and driving down the field into the end zone. And having one of the greatest football celebrations I've ever seen. Simply because he didn't get all hype about it. He literally just took his helmet off, chucked it, and held his arms up like, yeah, that just happened. It was perfect. I loved Stefan Diggs' celebration of it. I also hope to never see it again. But I loved it. It was amazing. But everything had to go right. He had to he had to stay on his feet. He had to stay in bounds. And he had to drive down the field to get the touchdown. If free safety Marcus Williams, if he gets the tackle on Stephon Diggs, is over. Vikings going home. Saints going to the NFC Championship game. That would have been it. I'm not calling it luck. It's just all the right pieces falling into play. Everything that needed to go right went right. Same thing for us Eagles fans. Julio Jones, all right? Matty Ice. There's Matt Ryan. Matty Ice, the famed clincher for closing out games when the heat and the pressure's on. And Matty Ice didn't exist in this divisional game against the Eagles. He really did not. If you watch... And I I believe I'm being objective when I talk about this. I don't think I'm being a skewed Eagles fan. Matt Ryan was under pressure a lot and couldn't handle it well. Didn't handle it well. The fact that the Falcons could drive down the field but then not convert it into touchdowns was their bane. And that last, it was their last drive. There was 58, you heard the Merrill Reese call that I opened it up. Merrill Reese, famed, legendary Eagles radio announcer. Love Merrill Reese. Love his passion. Love... Everything about him, he can make the game 15 times more exciting than it actually is. You heard him call the game, all right? 58 seconds were left after that play. Matt Ryan drops back, shoots the ball into the corner end zone to Julio Jones, who is usually a lock for jumping up and getting that ball. Julio Jones fell. Julio Jones Slick, stumbled, fell, had to regain his composure, get back onto his feet, and then go up for the ball and just missed it. Covered by Eagles receivers. If he had brought that down, the Eagles only had 58 seconds to play with. Only led by five. The Eagles only had 58 seconds to play with if Julio Jones scores that touchdown. And it would have been a different game. But that's what NFL football, that's what NFL playoff football boils down to sometimes. Sometimes it's dominance by other teams and sheer brute force. And other times it's not. Other times it's these little one drive, one play, one player things. So what's going to happen on Sunday? I'm not in the prediction game. I'm not in the guessing scores game. I am literally going to watch both games and try my damnness to enjoy them. Because let's face it, if the Eagles don't pull it off, if this is the end of the road for the Eagles, I'm going to be kind of depressed. Just just saying. But it's been a stellar, amazing, fantastic year of impossibilities. So I'm 
optimistic. I'm very optimistic. But in any case, may the best team win. And whoever wins, let's just hope the Patriots get beat. Jesus, God. Is that just being a bitter NFL fan, just hating on the Patriots? I, uh, God. The Patriots have so many bandwagon fans, people who just jumped on because Tom Brady and 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 uh, Bill Belichick and all that, and, and because there's controversy, you know, year in and year out with stuff. So many bandwagon fans with the Patriots, man, and I, I hate that. I hate that. If you're just a fan of a, of a team because they're winning, then you are, by definition by me, a, a loser. You're a loser. Or as our, our or as our great president of the United States, Donald Trump, would say, you loses. You, 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 he is a loser. You're a loser. We're going to win, 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 win. That's that's the Patriots. We're going to win, 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 win. Nobody cares anymore. Nobody literally cares anymore. I think people have gotten tired of the Patriots over the years, and it's not because of how stellar the winning is. It's just we're tired. We're done. We don't care. We We, we got it. Tom Brady is the greatest of all time. He's he's very very good. Greatest of all time. Eh, I'm not so certain. To be the greatest of all time, I believe you have to do it through a span of teams. And if you can't do it from a span of teams, I mean this is a team sport, mind you. And I think that Bill Belichick and Tom Brady have had a, a mutually beneficial relationship. And if you took one out of the equation, the other one suffers. One suffers. All right. Why, why is it that every Tom Brady backup that's ever had to fill in usually does pretty stellar with the Patriots, but then goes on to have a lackluster career after the Patriots? Never having produced a starter, even though they can put up Tom Brady numbers in the New England Patriots, it's because it's because of the system. It's because of the system. So that is my thoughts on Tom Brady. Not the greatest of all time, but yeah, he is good. We can't we can't say he's not good, but you know, to say that he hasn't gotten preferential treatment from referees sometimes for late hits and other quarterbacks haven't. Yeah, absolutely. There is a little bias there. So other than the agony that I had to go through this past week to ensure that I have Sunday night off so I can watch the Eagles and drink in peace with my friends at my home with my 4K television, which is the way to watch football nowadays, by the way, in case you needed that in your head. That's that's the way to watch football on a 4K TV. I painstakingly arranged so I could have the, the day off, and I also painstakingly arranged so I could have the Super Bowl off. Just in case one of the two teams in the Super Bowl happens to be the Philadelphia Eagles, which God God willing, I'm hoping. Other than that, I had jury duty this week. <laughs> and I got promptly excused from jury duty as well. <laughs> promptly excused. Without going into detail because I'm you know, you shouldn't go into detail. You're not allowed to go into detail, but the the defendant in the case was and is incarcerated and you know my profession as a correctional professional I had to because I've had interactions with that said individual time and again not even talking positive or negative because I've had interaction with that individual I said is this not you know the judge pulled me aside when I raised my hand for you know I can't I can't do this I can't be on this trial why why can't you be on this trial 
uh, because I am I'm, I'm in a supervisory role where this man is incarcerated. Oh. Crap. Yeah, yeah. Get me out of here. Get me out of here because he doesn't like me. I don't like him. How can you expect me to be impartial when I've had direct supervision over this individual? And I was promptly dismissed back to the waiting room where I had to spend another two and a half hours before they dismissed me. But luckily... I now have a certificate, and I'm good for two years. I'm good for two years. I did my bid. I did my civic duty. And while I was in the waiting room talking with various individuals, because that's what you do in Delaware, Delaware, you're not allowed to have anything on you for jury duty except for, like, a book or a notepad or writing material. But you can't have electronics. You can't have your cell phone. You can't have your laptop. You can't have anything. There's a cyber cafe with five computers from 1995 that you can go on the internet and check out your social media and your emails and all that. And there's four or five telephones in there that you can use. But it's not very private because the telephones are right by the computers. So, at the end of the day, if they call you for jury duty in Delaware, you are stuck in a boring-ass room with nothing to do until they release you. I now must have at least a li- an inkling of feeling of what it's like to be incarcerated, even though I know that feeling eight hours a day, five days a week. Sometimes six days a week. Or at least extra shifts, because some of that, over time, I am forced to work. So I know what that feels like, but... But this is a, just a different scale because this is just out and about your normal day. I mean, it did give me the day off of work. Maybe I should stop complaining. I don't I don't know. But while I was there, I started reading the book that my wife bought me for Christmas. My wonderful wife bought me the Declaration of Independence. Not independence. Independent. Plural. How Libertarian Politics Can Fix America by Matt Welch. And Nick Galepsi of Reason Magazine. And I dove into that. And the fact that I read like 40 or so pages of that book in this waiting room throughout my jury duty waiting period is a testament to how well I've picked up reading. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I can't sit there for hours on end and just keep reading a book. Usually it has to hook me some way. But the fact that I read 40 or so pages throughout the day, mind you, talking to other people and having time sucked up, being selected to be part of a jury pool of 30 other people, that ate up time going up to a courtroom and then being excused. That ate up a lot of time, too. So the fact that I read 40 pages is actually a testament to how much I've, I've done reading-wise. And it's really interesting. This book, which was written, I think, in 2008 or 2009, um. In fact, let me check. Pardon me, it was published uh, just before 2012 because the reviews on it from the sources that read it, the critiquing sources that read it, were, um, they're all marked 2011 and some of the critiquing sources was like Marginal Revolution, Forbes.com, and, and uh, Real Clear Politics.com. They're all 2011 reviews. The The book is published or dated published June 26, 2012 just for referencing points and um, 
it's amazing how much this book has has in in such short pages opened me up to the fact that uh, there's huge financial problems in the United States of America, but especially the duopoly stuff that Matt Welch and Nick Gillespie talk about, and, and something that you hear out of libertarian leaning people a lot: the duopoly, the Democrats, the Republicans, the and the pendulum. You'll hear about the pendulum swinging back and forth, and when the pendulum swings towards the right, you know, it swings. Whatever we do, when the pendulum swings to the right, or the conservatives, or the Republicans, whatever you want to call it, label it however you want to call it, when it swings to the right and they do what they can with it while it's swung to the right, it usually doubles back to the left, you know, twice as much. And that pattern keeps repeating, so... It, it, just for an example, we had you know we had two or we had two terms of Bill Clinton as as President of the United States, right? And then the pendulum swung, and it was George W. Bush who eked his way into office the first time, and the second time he actually won by a marginal victory uh, over John Kerry, and then the pendulum swung to the right, and then suddenly when when Bush was on top, the the House and the Senate it went back to the Democrats, and then we had. Eight years of Obama, and the pendulum swung that way, and now Donald Trump eked in, and the pendulum's back on the right, and it it goes back and forth, and back and forth, and it was really interesting to see the notes and the comparisons that they have about the duopoly, you know, like how much is American politics and the political system really helping us as individuals How is it really helping us as individuals versus how much are the Democrats and the Republicans enjoying a mutual relationship for power? And it's very interesting because it ties into uh, one of the things I got to do before recording this very podcast this morning. I went to a constituent coffee meeting with uh, Anthony Del Colo. Uh, If you remember episodes ago last year, um, last election, I talked about meeting my state senator representative in the state senate, Anthony Del Colo. He's a state senator, District 7 here in Delaware. Met with him. He does an amazing job as, as, I don't even like to call him a politician, even though he's a politician. He's an attorney. He's a constitutionalist. He is, uh, he's a constitutional attorney, um, and a lot of his basis and views and all that are heavily rooted in the Constitution and in the law and in what's written and how it's written. And I think it's important. And it, I made a connection with this guy. I voted for him off the cuff because um, Patricia Blevins had been in her Delaware seat for District 7 for 25 years. my Nearly my entire life with just a two, you know... A two to three year difference. That's how long somebody's been sitting in a seat of power in the state of Delaware in District 7. Which is a little ridiculous to me. Like why 25 years in one spot and you start to notice the the patterns of what that creates. Delaware politics, I believe, is a little broken and shattered and a little too buddy-buddy and a little too almost royalty-based. It's not, you know... It's who you know and who you click with and what you do in those clicks for those people. Um, 
Anthony Del Colo is uh, a guy on the outside that broke through. He literally won by like a handful of votes, a hundred, maybe a hundred or so. And he's a really passionate guy. I, I, I'm thinking I really do want to try to get get up with him sometime, see if I can get him interviewed for the program. I think he would be a very cool guest and, and would have a lot of knowledge to throw out there. Just some of the things that he went over in the meeting today. Um, some of the meeting notes that I have here. Delaware working on um, an end-of-life bill for people who are diagnosed with terminal diseases. And sometimes you look at those things and you think, you know, oh, somebody should be able to determine their own level of quality of life, and if they have a terminal disease and they want to end their life, they should have the right to do it. And it's easy to say that. It's easy for a bunch of us in a room to sit there and say, yeah, that absolutely is somebody's right. But then to see how it transcribes and tries to get translated into law, where Anthony Del Colo explained this bill doesn't really have a safeguard and it brings concerns as as in like, what if we have this person over here who, you know, is elderly or terminally ill or whatever and isn't in the best position to make a decision themselves or, or can't legally make a decision themselves just because of the state that they're in. Let's say they have a communication gap of sorts or something. They can't really communicate that. Are there family members that would take advantage of it? You know, and then things like that outside the box thinking that I, I never have seen out of other representatives. That was one of the things he brought up. He brought up uh, bail reform in Delaware and and something that me as a correction professional has been pushing for a while myself. Bail reform. Don't give me people that are sitting in there on a $50 bail that can't even make it because they're poor. It doesn't make any sense. It's a drain on the whole thing. And are they really a violent offender or are they just in here for something minor, you know? And and I learn so much interesting stuff attending Del Colo's coffee constituency meetings because he's so open and honest about things. I learned today that Delaware spends second overall in the United States per capita. All right, Alaska's number 1 per capita in spending at $13,522 per capita. Delaware is at 10,751. Okay? That's something that I never knew. And you can lump that in there. And you find other things. You find other information. Like, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, Delaware has a debt of nearly $5 billion. $5 billion. Not million, billion. And that's according to Ballotpedia.org. The actual debt number is a uh, $4,964,915,000. And the state debt per capita is $5,259, which ranks Delaware 42nd among states in debt and 10th in per capita debt. Okay, and just for factoring, the total state debt owned by the 50 states is $1.15 trillion with a per capita debt average of 
$3,582. Now, I'm no financier, but I know these numbers are freaking huge. And these are also, this is things that I don't even think about sometimes. Learning that the state spends twice as much as it actually earns. You know, and then looking at the overall state ranking, where he's found information that Delaware placed 31st in the country, or I can find information that says maybe it's 20th, but you know, out of 50, are you really good if you're number 43 in crimes and corrections, if you're number 20 in infrastructure, if you're number 34 in government, if you're number 26 in education? I mean, out of 50, maybe, but it still doesn't put you up in the upper echelon. It's crazy. Crazy things going on. Um, I have a couple of things that I'm going to be looking into from Del Colo's meaning today that I'll probably expound on at a later time, maybe even in the blog. Uh, Which, by the way, sidebar, if you missed the blog this past week at fritzcast.wordpress.com, it's about Tide Pod Challenge. Um, Apparently... And I could I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I could be right. I don't know. Uh, just my initial thoughts on what's been going on with the Tide Pod Challenge. It's, it was a really quick read. I suggest you go to fritzcast.wordpress.com and read it. And I'm just going to leave it at that. But one of the things Delco brought up is that Delaware is trying to push an equal an equal rights amendment to the Delaware Constitution. However... He says that it gets, maybe it possibly gets too specific, and in getting too specific, does it overwrite other things that are beneficial to the state? So that's something that I have to research more before I expound on. Now, I could talk about all the Delaware problems, uh, I'm sure, and there's a laundry list of them, but um, right now, what's going on is the thing that I talked about just several episodes ago, just, just, just a handful of episodes ago, in fact, it was before the new year came, and that is the government, yet again, is facing a looming shutdown. And right now, it's Democrats pushing, saying, if we don't get X, Y, and Z, we will shut the government down. And the Republican side, or Donald Trump at least anyway, is saying, okay, go ahead. And a blame game's coming into play now. You know, who's who's to blame for the government shutdown that, that is looming in the background? And, I mean, this is this is where things get... A little crazy and a little, you know, very divided. Very divided. They're ramping up a a blame game. Mitch McConnell is, is, is saying that the Democrats are holding... The nation hostage. This was, this is, here's, here's a little clip of Mitch McConnell who, I mean, I don't have much respect for Mitch McConnell, but here it is anyway. People want the federal government open for veterans, military families, and the vulnerable. They want food and drug inspections to continue without interruption. They want death benefits to continue to go out to families of service members killed in action. They want children and low-income families to continue receiving health coverage through S-CHIP. They want a sensible compromise on immigration. But they cannot, Madam President, for the life of them, understand why, why some senators would hold the entire country hostage 
until we arrive at a solution to a problem that doesn't fully materialize until March. That's Mitch McConnell talking, and 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 just just a side note with this, um, you know. Not all Republicans are on board with this. A, a group of negotiators made up of Dick Durbin, uh, Senate Republican Whip John Cornyn of Texas, House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy, Republican from California, and House Democratic Whip uh, Stein Hoyer, are in the midst of negotiating a compromise uh, right now. Um, all, all in concern of immigration and, and Dreamers, DACA, that whole the, the whole immigration outline. Immigration seems to be a key focal point here, and, and um, it, it's very telling, very interesting, at least anyway. Uh, McConnell accused Democrats of dragging out spending talks in order to gain leverage on immigration, stating, quote, the reason these talks have gone on so long is because they've insisted on throwing the illegal illegal immigration issue into the pool of these other issues and are now saying we're going to shut the government down if we can't have our way on this issue, end quote. Uh, Chuck Schumer, Charles Schumer, Schumer from New York, uh, has pushed back arguing that Democrats had no choice but to defeat the measure, stating, quote, a continuing resolution constructed by the Republican speaker and passed without the consultation of the House Democrats or Senate Democrats whatsoever, the Republican leader is now saying to us, take it or leave it. So he's arguing that Democrats haven't had any negotiating power in this whatsoever. And the, the very interesting and telling thing is uh, not all Republicans are on board with this. Senator Orrin Hatch from Utah said Republicans usually get the blame during shutdowns. Uh, Democrats and Republicans suffer blowback because they both... Our Democrats are saying Republicans will suffer more blowback because they control both chambers of the Congress. Uh, and a senior Democratic aide noted that several Republicans, including Lindsey Graham, Rand Paul, are expected to vote with Democrats against the bill. So some sources are saying both sides are to blame. And me, I'm saying, I'm saying both sides have played this game before. This isn't a new game. This isn't something new. Hearing the word government shutdown isn't... It doesn't carry weight anymore. We hear it all the time. We hear it quarterly. And part of it is because this the, the thing that they're talking about right now to pass funding for the government, again, is not some full-stop, actual, factual budget. It is another stopgap bill. The government is playing around with this bullcrap day in and day out. They passed the bill just before the start of the new year to keep funding active and open through January, through right now. And what happens? They're looming on another shutdown, and when they pass this one, this one, again, will only be for a limited period until they come and address it again. Again, and this exact thing could happen again. What is legitimately going to stop it from happening? And how often can you say, if we don't get what we want, or if we don't get our way on this issue, if we don't get this, if we don't get X, Y, and Z, we'll shut it down. You're talking about 
big powerful men and a few women as well who will not suffer from a government shutdown. Do you think your senator suffers from a government shutdown? They don't. They still get their payment. They still get everything that they're, quote, entitled to. This is this is what we go back to when we talk about a ruling class in America. That's your ruling class. They don't mind what happens to you. They would threaten a shutdown, and then they would go off on a tirade of who's actually to blame for the shutdown instead of doing the right thing for you. You, me, we're all just pawns in their little game. And they treat it like a game. And this is where we get. We get grown men pissing over each other. Over these things. And seemingly, seemingly no compromise. And there's probably not a lot of compromise going on. One of the interesting things that you can, and you can look this up on YouTube or you can read it. Whatever your preferred method or mode of getting information is. Uh, podcasts and interviews, they're, 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 there's tons of this out there. Rand Paul talks about DACA and what the Democrats wanted with DACA. They wanted to pass DACA, just accept all the children, period, the end, but not make tweaks to immigration itself. And maybe there is a compromise there. Maybe you, maybe you pass a form of DACA where you say all the children, of, all, all the children that were brought in we're going to integrate them into our society, but you count it against the numbers of immigration happening every year, and you cut that immigration off. Something's got to give. You can't take everybody, you can't do everything, and you can't spend your way out of a problem, especially when spending is your problem. That's, that's what's going on right now. That, that is some of the craziest things that are happening within this past week. And now we're now it's a looming government shutdown, and we're having a blame game to see who's going to take the most blame and most of it is probably over most of it is probably happening over the upcoming midterm elections that's what is happening here what if they're playing this game to see who will take the brunt of the blame and take the hit in the midterm elections to see who gets more power if the republicans retain their power if it swings to the democrats because nothing is written in stone right now and these moments are memorable, but why are they memorable? What are people focusing on? And my whole thing is that this gridlock is what kills us. This quest for power is what kills us. This is what helped, in turn, make me an independent-slash-a-libertarian-ish kind of individual. It made me step away from the Republican Party. But, as you can see, it's not like I dove in head first into the Democratic Party either because both sides are to blame for this. Both sides are holding the government hostage. Both sides really don't care what is happening right now because you have this side wanting certain things and unwilling to compromise. You have this side wanting certain things, demanding certain things, and unwilling to compromise. And then you have the looming government shutdown threat. And some people are sitting on the sidelines going, you know what, shut it down. It'll screw up everything. Why not? When you have all those different emotions and mixtures going in, it, it is a volatile environment right now. And that is really where I want to leave it at because you know what, this, this, this looming government shutdown is probably not going to happen. What's probably going to happen is a bad compromise will happen where both parties fling money both directions, money that we don't have, and the can 
gets kicked down the road yet again, and we'll be meeting in another couple of months with another government shutdown looming over our heads. So, where do we win? Who knows? That's all I wanted to focus on this week. That's all I wanted to talk about. And there's literally, there's ounces and ounces and ounces of information that you can get from, whether it's Mitch McConnell, Chuck Schumer, Dick Durbin, Rand Paul, uh, a host of different sources that you can look up. This immigration reform thing. Where are we going? When do we get a good compromise? When do we work things out? Who knows? That's the big thing. So, guys, I'm glad that you listened. I hope that you are prepped for a big football weekend if you're a football fan. And if you're not a football fan, good luck doing anything else. Uh, Whatever it is you're going to do, stay away from the cities, stay away from the bars. Uh, Especially if you're in Philly because everything's going to be tuned on the game. Okay, my God. That in mind, keep your eyes peeled. There will be a new blog post coming up this week for sure. And it's not going to be... Just look up fritzcast.wordpress.com for the for for this last week's blog. I'm, I don't want to talk about it. You got to read it. You got to read it. It's at fritzcast.wordpress.com. Go there. I'm on Twitter at fritzqs, Facebook.com/slash/thefritzcast, and as always, fritzcastpodcast at gmail.com. Guys, love you, miss you, and I'll see you next week. Where hopefully I can talk about how the Eagles are going to the Super Bowl. Maybe, 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 maybe. <laughs>